Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, I'm Peter Hart, with me is lovely Gary Bain, and today we've got a, 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 another very serious and, and slightly depressing one. This is the, the, the culmination of the story of the Second Royal Norfolk that we've been telling. Uh, we've, that's been going on for months, but this is the fourth episode which describes the Royal Norfolk's part in the Battle of Kahima. Uh, it's um, it's it's a hell of a story. Well, it's based on um, the where we're up to. We're, we were describing the ambitious, very ambitious, Gary, um, outflanking manoeuvre called Operation Strident, uh, which would circle around behind the Japanese southern flank through terrible foresty, woody things, hills, mountains, everything, valleys, to relieve the trapped British garrison of Kohima. Uh, after a terrible journey, they, they captured, in the last episode, uh, the GPT r- uh, Ridge on the 4th of May. And that, that was, what do you think of that? That was a big thing, wasn't it, Gary? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a massive victory. And, uh, you know, they still had, they still had some uh, uh, really tough days ahead of them, though. They'd captured part of what was called Norfolk Bunker. And it was a series of bunkers, wasn't it? It, it wasn't was just a one complex. bunker. So they, they still had that line ahead of them. And uh, I, I don't suppose to the men that were sort of crouched down in their slip trenches during the night that it felt anything like a notable victory, to be honest. And again, uh, as in the last one, there'll be no silly voices. This is too serious, too horrible. This is even worse than the last episode for horribleness. And you're going to kick off for us by being Sergeant Bert Fitt, who is the, in many ways the hero of this story of B Company, 2nd Norfolk's. We dug our foxholes and the next morning they were half full of water. It rained all night. It was a miserable night. We'd had a hard, very hard day and a heck of a fight coming down there. All in all, I think the spirits of the blokes were getting a bit down. But when they realised they'd lost nearly all their senior officers and a lot of other people wounded, I think they all had the feeling the same as I did. We'll annihilate them. Come what may, we're going to annihilate the Japanese. I think they all had that feeling and that raised their spirits a bit. Desire for revenge, isn't it? Uh, That's... uh... A, a big motivator in battle. Uh, now, um, leading them was somebody who had a larger-than-life persona, somebody that really led from the front, and that's uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Scott. Uh, and and it's, it's at times like this that, that, that 
they're isolated. That sort of person's just the right man, isn't it? Uh, and it puts it all into perspective. <laughs> and after all, I think it's fair to say that next to him, most Japanese appeared st- uh, small. He was a giant, a great big hulk of a man, rip roaring. And he's that's why we used to do him as a Cornish pirate before we uh, grew up and became mature historians as opposed to children. Anyway, again, you're Sergeant Bert Finn. Scott wasn't a man who just went and got in a dugout and stayed there. Oh, no, he got out. He went round his positions to make sure that everything was covered and he spoke to people as he went round. I admired the man for it. He was a great soldier, one of the finest soldiers you could ever meet. I always said that he was one of those men who should have had the VC. Mm. Now, uh, Scott, he's blustering and bellowing everywhere. It's, it's just his persona. Um but it, it works. I mean, there you are in a miserable, cold, wet, bloody awful slit trench with some bastard shooting at you. And, and, and a man like that's just what you need to give you confidence. And I'm going to be Captain John Howard. He's the, now, he's the intelligence, we've had him lots before, the intelligence officer of, who had been uh, sent to headquarters uh, 4th Brigade where he was acting in that capacity. And, and this is what John Howard says. Two minutes with Scott and a man's fears were calmed. The mud and, and the wet didn't matter, nor did the Japs. His bravery was magnificent. That always inspires soldiers. And the fact that he was still the same chap he'd always been. Most people rather tend to change in battle, but Robert didn't. He was still the same awkward bugger. <laughs> he was about six foot two inch, but very big with it. A huge bottom. He, more and more, he's reminding me of someone. Uh, he was covered in mud, but then so were the rest of us. His huge boots and his large feet covered in mud looked even bigger. His trousers were covered in dried blood. He'd stabbed a Japanese at some stage, so I was told. He had grenades, a pistol and his dagger hanging round his huge waistline. He'd acquired a silk Japanese flag, which he was using as a scarf. Like the rest of us, he had four or five days of beard, which he's never very prepossessing. He had a bandaged head. His tin hat had a ragged bullet hole. Ooh, I've got this bloody lumbago. I can't get up. He had a long stick to lean on. He had a headache, was in a vile temper, and enjoying himself wildly. Take cover, you silly buggers. We're being shelled. Everybody down, except me. I can't. I've got lumbago. But the buggers can't get me. I should have done that in a Cornish pirate voice, but never mind. That was very cheering. He'd say, oh dear. We're all going to be killed. Well, the way he said it, it didn't matter. What a character. I mean, he is an unbelievable character in many ways. But if it was just one person saying this, you'd think "Mm, he's exaggerated. But when you look through the interviews or listen to the interviews, it's difficult to look through interviews. He comes out the same way. They, They all describe him in the same way. Is it the fact that he's six foot two that reminds you of somebody or was it his big bottom and his belly? It's the big bottom. <laughs> it's Six foot two is almost dwarfish, Gary. Mm. Now, Scott had, in fact, been hit a glancing blow across the head and had responded in typical fashion. And uh, a witness to this is Sergeant Bert Fitt, and this is what he says. When he got hit, scalped, he shook his fist at the Japanese lines. He said, the biggest bloke on the damn position and you couldn't get him. If you were in my bloody battalion, I'd take your proficiency pay away. 
<laughs> Sorry. Now, the total casualties, uh, this is grim, suffered by the battalion in capturing GPT Ridge, has been worked out as being three officers killed, five wounded, 19 of the ranks killed, with 50 wounded. That's quite a lot. That's quite a tough... Uh, and remember, there's nowhere for them to go. They're, and, they're and, stuck there. And let's just re-emphasise here, that's one battalion. Yeah, yeah. They're on their own with the yeah. Royal Scots behind it, but the Royal Scots are busy dealing with yeah. some other Japanese. On the 5th of May, uh, they, 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 had, they were being pestered by snipers. And this is what Sergeant Burt Fitz says. Condor got hit. They had snipers every damn where, and there was no way in which you could point out exactly where they were. They kept picking off people all over, but I was lucky that I didn't lose any of my people on the 5th. I kept them under cover as much as I possibly could, and I forbade any of them to move. I kept a sharp lookout and told them to keep looking out to see if they could detect where these snipers were. I moved round from one position to another. They shot at me, but I didn't care. <laughs> what a character. Now, that the night before, 4th, 5th of May... Uh, Sergeant Fred Hazel, who I'm going to do this time because uh, there's too much of uh, fit in this one for, for you to do both sergeants. Uh, he just dropped into the first place he could find uh, in, in his area, his platoon area. But next morning, he finds himself in a very tight situation. Uh, he was in a hole about four foot six deep, but it was half full of water. And it lay on the line of the track running up uh, GPT Ridge. And, and Sergeant Fred Hazel, he's in Deacon, and he says this. When he got first light, a crowd of Japs had got in our perimeter, up in the trees on either side of this track. I think I was the best target they could see. Fortunately, when they first fired, the shots came over my shoulder and landed in front of me. Bang! 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 I ducked straight away and thought, Jesus, where did that come from? So I put my hat on my rifle and poked it up. Another volley of shots came over, which I thought was rather amusing. I was sitting there in my hole doing this. Up and down with his rifle and that. Fabulous. Every time I did it, I overcame four shots. I'd taken my pouches off and put them on the ground behind me. Suddenly, there was a most deafening bang and I got covered in dirt that came down in my ears and all down my tunic. I thought, crikey, they've put a mortar on me now. Anyway, I carried on popping my hat up and down and then suddenly I felt cramp developing in my left leg. I knew then that I'd got about a couple of minutes to do something pretty drastic. I popped my hat up, overcame the shots, I stuck my head up quick, looked round, I could see some bushes over there. I waited for a few moments, I, po I popped the hat up again, overcame the shots and I rolled over into these bushes. They couldn't afford an awful lot of cover, they couldn't afford him an awful lot of cover, but obviously they couldn't see me because nobody shot at me from then onwards. I lay, I lay out flat there for half an hour and never moved. While I was laying there, A Company that were in reserve way back up the ridge, had spotted the problem and sent four Bren gunners who just sprayed the trees. That was that. I then went back to pick up my pouches. The bang that I'd heard was one of the shots had hit them and blown all the grenades up. Jesus. My water bottle had gone. Everything had gone. The only thing I was in possession of then was a rifle. I had nothing else. But there was plenty of wounded and dead. So I soon made good any deficiencies. That's, yeah. yeah. Now, Hazel, he'd actually been lucky. All day on the 5th of May, there was a constant drip of casualties as the snipers patiently waited for someone to make a mistake by showing themselves long enough for a clear shot. And uh, once more, you're going to read, and you're going to read Private Dick Fitz, 
Fiddleman of the Second Norfolks. A character. We don't know what company he was. He, he was never quite sure, I think. He says this. In the slit trench next to me was a chap, Corporal Payne. Dolly, we called him. I don't know why. We were standing too, and I heard a shot. We knew automatically that was a sniper. He'd poked his head up. He was quite a tall chap, and this sniper shot him. The bullet entered the right-hand side of his forehead. The front had gone. His brain was visible. We got to him. We put him down in the trench, covered him with a monsoon cape. He actually said, you might as well fill the bloody hole up. There's thousands of things that you forget, and yet incidents like this, it's as though it was yesterday. You can see him as though he's here now. That was, And, of course, wow. he was saying that to me. I remember sat opposite Dick Fiddleman, and he was a cheery bloke. But I'll tell you, he wasn't cheery while he was telling me that, and nor was I. It was. Uh, it's quite disturbing. That, and, of course, that that bloke uh, is, um, is somebody's relative, some, yeah. most likely somebody's son, possibly their wife. Dolly Payne, poor sod. Possibly their husband. Yes. Now, Sergeant oh, William yeah. Robinson was one of those who was uh, hit and in that moment found that real life was not as it was often portrayed in the Hollywood movies. And uh, you're going to read Sergeant William Robinson's uh, uh, account of this, of A Company, 2nd Norfolk's. All this John Wayne business where they just grab their arm and go down gently, that doesn't help. You feel as though you've been kicked by a horse. My leg went straight from under me and of course I fell to the ground. I didn't know what had happened. I'd got a nice hole in my trousers so I tore it to, to see what had happened. I put my field dressing on my wound just above my knee on the left leg. I tied it as well, as tight as I could. I was bleeding fairly badly. They got their eyes on me, so discretion was the better part of valour. I crawled away to get a bit more cover. It was difficult pushing myself along with one leg. The left one was useless. I waited for help, for, for any help that was forthcoming. Now it did arrive and he was carried back to the regimental aid post where he received very little treatment as the medics strained to deal with the more serious cases. I could tell this is affecting you, you're becoming quite husky. <clears throat> I'm, I'm becoming quite emotional, Pete. And uh, you're going to, to go on as Sergeant William Robinson. It was raining, raining very heavily. The side of the little dugout that I was in became jelly and the mud slid back and covered over you. Mind you, that kept you warm. <laughs> I got this bit of half, of half blanket over the bottom part of my leg because I wanted to keep it as clean as possible in all that mud. My leg was numb, very, very numb. I didn't know to what extent I'd been hit and what the damage was. I had visions of being a cripple. I think anybody would be thinking that. I was there probably a couple or three days. Listen to that, Gary. Yeah. Not knowing whether you're going to lose your leg or what. Anyway, I didn't get any treatment there at all. It was continually raining. I thought it was never going to stop. You didn't want to go to the toilet, strangely enough, because you'd had no food, nothing much. Everybody was doing their best. It was a situation that you accepted. There was a lot of wounded. And I think that's, that shows a remarkable character to, to not blame the stretcher bearers, not blame the doctor, but just to accept this was a terrible situation he was in, but nobody was to blame. That's a, and never complain. Well, that is an example of the reality of that, Gary. <laughs> Now, the numbers of the wounded that built up quickly in the regimental post over several days, the situation was depressing in the extreme, a bit like working with you. Sergeant Ben McRae was sniped through the chest, and even his naturally cheerful and optimistic nature was weighed down. And this is what Sergeant Ben McRae of the Carrier Platoon HQ Company says. 
I tried to get some blooming sleep. I was desperate for sleep, but you couldn't get it because our own mortars were firing and there were bangs going off all the time. I got a blanket, covered my head right over and tried to sleep. Sergeant Major Wiley came up. Oh, what's the matter? I thought you were dead. I said, not yet. What dead we had were covered up with a blanket. All they had was a morphia injection. That's all they could do and put a dressing on. They couldn't do anything else. The doctor said, you're not coughing up blood. I said, no. Oh, your lungs are all right then. It's gone straight through. Luckily, we don't think it's hit anything vital. If you cough up, cough up blood, let me know instantly. I was wet. I began to feel cold and your nerves got to you. You could have sat down and cried your eyes out, which a lot of blokes did. They got so low-spirited with it all. You were hungry, cold and wet. You thought, when am I going to get out of here? You didn't. You couldn't. He's a bit more complainy, but I yeah. don't blame him. Not not in the absolute slightest. Imagine, Gary, again, being shot through the chest. And the, the, the good thing is it's not gone through your lung. Oh, do let me know if you start coughing up blood, won't you? You know, can you imagine and, it? And can you imagine what would the doctor do? Well... He's not going to open head, open chest surgery. No. Yeah. <laughs> He'll just move He'll give you. Give you an aspirin. <laughs> Number nine. Yeah. Oh dear. Now the medical officer, of course, he's aware that his patients are suffering, but you know, as we're, we're saying, there was very little that he could do. No. Now that we now come to the next stage. So as the evening fell on the fifth, we, we have a, a new a new person that's going to come in. But uh, Captain Jack Randall, we mentioned he'd taken over command of uh, B Company, and he took out a reconnaissance patrol to investigate exactly where uh, and and how it all fitted together. This this bunch of interconnected bunkers, which which together are called Norfolk Bunker. I always think it's funny that they're attacking Norfolk Bunker. It wasn't funny for them though. And and guess who went with him? Sergeant Fit. Bert Fit. That night, we went out on a patrol to make contact with the enemy on the right of Norfolk Bunker, immediately in between us and Kahima. As far as reconnaissance was concerned, we did in actual fact make contact, but we were lucky. We got back without losing anybody. We just carried on until somebody shot at us, and when they shot at us, well, we had to just give a quick dive to the ground to observe what was ahead of us, roughly where this had happened. Randall then, so that, that they've got what intelligence they can from that. Randall holds an O group, that's an order group, uh, where basically he, he briefs his uh, platoon commanders. Uh, by this time, as, as you recall, Fit uh, is commanding uh, number nine platoon. And he, he reveals to us now what the plan was. The plan was to attack Norfolk Bunker from the front. They called it the Bunker. In actual fact, it consisted of about seven or eight different bunkers. My platoon was the spearhead to the centre. They had 12 platoon to the right. There was only the two platoons really to go forward. Then they had the reserve platoon, which was 10 platoon, and a support platoon, which was under the command of Captain Davis. That consisted of machine gunners and so forth from the carrier platoon. He rates up his own support, Captain Davis did. It was an out-and-out -out frontal attack because we were going in at dawn, at first light. Now, I... I can't imagine what it's like in these circumstances, but uh, Lieutenant Davis, Captain Davis, Dickie Davis and Randall, uh, they're talking quietly together and you can just imagine the sort of conversation. Now, Davis, uh, Captain D Dickie Davis said this, we talked about our families, what we planned to do after the war, 
all sorts of things. His son was born on the same day as mine, and we wondered what they'd be like, because of course they hadn't seen much of them. He said this is a bloody awful shambles, and we talked over what we were going to do. And uh, you'll, you'll see why I find this quite sad. Uh, B Company moved forward up to the start line, ready for the attack just before dawn. And uh, for the next few quotes will be the, the, the most amazing oral history you'll ever, you've ever heard. It, 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 and you're going to tell a story as Bert Fitt. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Captain Randall came up and he laid beside me. He said, I've seen all the horrible things that's happened to me in my past. I said, so have I. I think that he had an idea that he would not come out of the attack. Now, they were supported by the covering fire we mentioned of the carrier platoon, Bren guns and mortars. And B Company move off, uh, but they're met with a hail of Japanese bullets. And this is a frontal attack and there's very little cover. Uh, Bert Fitt describes what happened. We moved and we got about halfway to the base of the hill. Captain Randall had already been hit at least twice before we ever got to the bottom of the hill. He staggered twice. That told me that he'd been hit fairly heavily in the upper part of his body. I shouted to him, told him to go down and leave it to me, because you could see that he'd lost blood. He said, no, you take that left-hand bunker. I'm going to take this right-hand one. There were two light machine gun posts, and they were carving up the company terrible. Now, Fit, he manages to get close, right in close to the left-hand bunker, and he dealt with it in what we call textbook fashion, didn't he? I got mine by coming up underneath, and before they could spin a gun onto me, I had a grenade in the bunker. You see, they didn't realise that I was coming up underneath them. I moved so quick. It had a protection cover over it, 
I managed to get a grenade in, pushed it in through the slit, and after four seconds, it went up. I knew that anybody inside that bunker was either dead or knocked out. I immediately spun right because I thought I could have got to where Captain Randall was before anything happened. Now, this is getting tragic now. Although this right-hand bunker is only... It's a cricket pitch away, 20 yards away. But it's already too late. Uh, and fit watches he actually sees the uh, the the la- the final act of heroism it is heroism which earned jack randall uh, a posthumous vc and that's spoilers but we know what's happening here as i turned right i saw captain randall at the bunker entrance i couldn't do a thing to save him if he could have held out for about three minutes i would have got on top of the bunker and knocked it out without getting hurt but unfortunately he'd been hit again and at point blank range As he was going down, he threw his grenade into the bunker and he sealed the bunker entrance with his own body so that nobody could shoot from it. But he had, in actual fact, got the occupants, killed them. I thought to myself, that's the end of Captain Randall. That's, uh, I remember when one of his family visited the the museum after I'd done that interview and I remember thinking, God, what a... What a thing. Anyway, now Fit's still got work to do. Fit is an amazing NCO. Because uh, th- these two bunkers, they're just the start, aren't they, Gary? Uh, the, 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 and he rushes forward another 15 yards to the next bunker. And then this is going. This is appalling, the next bit. The bloke was just going to have his breakfast because he had a tin of curry there opened. I threw my grenade. That was open, that bunker. And I shot him at the same time. He plunges on. He, 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 he just, he's, like, he's like a comic book hero. He's like Captain Hurricane from the Victor. Uh, and he reaches the next bunker. And here he encounters a, a Japanese soldier uh, and who comes out to meet him man to man. Oh, dear. Well, he knew damn well that if he stayed in there, he was going to get a grenade in. He came out of his back door of the bunker and he was behind me. I didn't see him and he fired. He shot me and he got me through the side of the face, underneath, under my jaw. He took my top teeth out and fractured my maxilla and the bullet burnt along the side of my nose. It felt just as if somebody with a clenched fist had just hit me. I wouldn't say that it hurt in the terms of being hurt. It didn't hurt me as much as what a good punch had done in the past in a fight. I just spat out a handful of teeth and I spun round. It was only a matter of a few paces away, facing me. He had a rifle and a bayonet, and I had a light machine gun. I pressed the trigger, and I'd got no ammunition. I'd used it. As he came towards me, I had that feeling that it was either me or him. So what do you do? You close in, and you hope for the best. I was a good instructor in unarmed combat. I could go hand-to-hand with anybody with a rifle and bayonet. I knew how to deal with them. I let him come, and I crashed, crashed the light machine gun into his face. I threw it straight in his face. Before he hit the ground, I had my hand on his windpipe and I literally tried to tear it out. It wouldn't come. If I could have got his windpipe out, I would have twisted it round his neck. We were tossing over on the ground. I managed to get his bayonet from his rifle and I finished him with that. He was the one that died, not me. And that is almost a unique account of uh, of, uh, of that kind of hand-to-hand fighting in in all of the war museums collections uh it's amazing Uh, but that that's an incredibly brutal terrible murderous confrontation but it's not the end not for fit so uh carry on carry on fit sorry carry on regardless i stood up 
and I had a call from 12 Platoon telling me that they were pinned down from another bunker, which I couldn't see. I asked them whereabouts it was, and they told me as best they could. I threw a grenade. It went over the top, and a chap who could see it yelled back a correction. I threw a second one. It was short, hit the ground before it got to the open bunker, and it bounced straight into the bunker. The occupants in there obviously were killed as well. There were still more bunkers over the other side. One of my corporals, Corporal Skullfort, he spotted another bunker, which was slightly over the crest to the left. He started going towards it. I yelled to him and tried to stop him, but I couldn't. He continued, went about a further four or five paces, and he was shot down. Now, by this time, Fitz platoon, <clears throat> they're on top of the position, but they still haven't captured the whole of the bunker complex. And at this point, uh, quite rightly, uh, Captain Dickie Davis brings up his platoon uh, to consolidate the position. And he says, I was told that as soon as I got a signal from the bunker, I was to advance on the bunker. My great worry at that time was I, I wouldn't see them. My brain guns were shooting like blazes and I was terrified they'd, they'd come out on the bunker and we'd shoot them. Nothing happened. I sent a message back to battalion headquarters. Shall I advance? I never got an answer. By this time, I, I knew I had to go forward. I got to consolidate, so I took a gamble. When I got down there on the bunker, there was only Fit and about 16 chaps there. Fit had a bad wound in the face. He was very shaken from the pure physical effort. He shouted, Randall's killed! Now, and nevertheless, Davis recognised that Fit was in full control of the situation and he didn't want to stand on his rank. And this is what Sergeant Bert Fit says. Captain Davis came up and I'd been hit. Oh, it must have been two hours previously. I'd been bleeding heavily and the front of me was pretty red with blood. I was getting weak and I said to him, well, you'd better take over now, sir. Davis said, no, you consolidate the position. You know what's going on more than me. I'll do anything you ask me to do. He was our support platoon. I told him, look, I'll have to sit down. I went and I sat just inside an old bunker and they put a field bandage round my head to make it look a bit respectable. Now, briefed by Fit, Davis's men, they'd set work trying to deal with the Japanese bunkers because Fitch pointed out where they are on the other side of the hillock that faces Jail Hill. And this is what Captain Dickie Davis says. There were other bunkers who were shooting further down the ridge towards the road. We couldn't get grenades at them, so what you did was you, you got your bayonet out and made a hole in the top, pulled the ring out of your grenade and dropped it in through the hole. There were shots going all over the place. I picked up a Sten gun and I thought I'd carry that instead of a rifle. Four Japanese got out of one of these bunkers we'd been dropping grenades in and ran down the hill. I pressed the trigger and nothing bloody well happened. My Sten gun jammed. I always jammed. A useless weapon. I threw it at them. I was so annoyed. Sorry. Some people would say that's the best use of a Sten gun. Well, actually. it's a classic Sten gun story. And I believe in your, even in your time, what was Sten and the Sterling? And you the had SMG. The SMG. And the SMG wasn't much bloody use either. Now, not everyone could cope with the stress of such vicious combat in the manner of Winky Fit. And ironically, it's one of Fit's men that cracks after the main danger is over. And this is what Sergeant Bert Fit said. I never had any kind of nervous reaction at all, but some of the men did. One chap, he lost his nerve. He wanted to run forward after the Japanese, wanted to go after them on his own. He just went into high hysterics like. I hit him to quiet him down. That was the only thing I could do to stop him. Otherwise, he would have run out and he would have got killed. I punched him, told him to be quiet and pull himself together. And he did. 
He'd come through it, done an excellent job right the way through, but he'd lost his nerve at the finish, just cracked. That's a horrible thing to happen, and if you're near them, the only thing you can do is hit them to stop them. <laughs> but, well, hard but fair. <laughs> yeah. Now, eventually, Fitz evacuated back to the RAP, where he met Colonel Scott and Dr. Mather, and this is what Bert said. The first words the colonel said to me was, they got you then, Fit. I said, that's right, sir. He said, let's have a look. The medical officer removed the field dressing. Colonel Scott stood in front of me and he went on, oh, 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 oh you never were any bloody oil painting. Oh, great. Well, those two are, are such a pair of characters. Now, uh, he's such a larger... They're both larger than life, aren't they? Uh, now, John Howard also sees fit uh, when he's wounded, and he says this. Now, John Howard, the intelligence officer, 4th uh, Brigade, he says, I saw Winky fit. That w- He was uh, slightly wounded. Yeah, didn't sound slight to me. What about you? What do you no. think, Gary? Uh, and he was being evacuated through Brigade headquarters. I greeted him as he came up to the field ambulance. We exchanged a few words. Fit said, I've had far worse bloody noses than this boxing and they're trying to evacuate me. I said, well, Winky, you'll have to go. I think that if he'd been killed instead of Jack Randall, the VC would have been the other way around. They were in it together. And uh, and that I think that's possibly true. Uh, 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 Fit, what does Fit get? Well, Fit's awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal. Mm. Which, which is a very, very... Uh, well, it's a very it's proud. A high, it's a high award. He's yeah. a very brave man. Now, as mentioned earlier, the colonel had his own head wound, uh, which he'd received on the 4th of May. This gave Major General John Glover the chance to exact his revenge <laughs> on Scott when he later visited the battalion on the 8th of May. Now, you'll recall there was some debate about whether to wear hats the tin on, helmets. Tin yes. helmets on, hats on, tin helmets on, hats on. Yeah. yeah. Now, Glover, he, he naturally noticed Scott's head wound. Uh, so he w- he wouldn't have been human if he'd not commented on it. Uh, and in view of Scott's argument with him before the operation commenced over the relative merits of those steel helmets and bush hats. Yeah. Now, uh, Grover had insisted on steel helmets to Scott's fury and Sam Horner, who you're going to, to, to be, was privileged to witness the encounter. Yeah. And he says this, the bullet had knocked Scott out slightly and sort of whizzed across the skull as bullets do. But if it hadn't been for his tin hat, which sort of slowed it down, he would probably have been dead. That delighted the divisional commander. When he first saw him, he said, well, Robert, are you going to apologise to me now about the tin hats? (laughs) It's probably quite fortunate that uh, we haven't got Robert Scott's reply. <laughs> yes. But the Battle of Kahima, it's it's not over yet, Pete. They still had not captured the Norfolk bunker. And what's more, that night they feared a Japanese counterattack at any moment. And this is what Captain Dickie Davis of the carrier platoon says. Towards the evening we had a mist. We were in all our slit trenches during that night and the Japs had put tins out with stones in them. We heard these tins rattling and the Japanese were shouting because they wanted us to shout back. Are you there, Tommy? It was horrible. It really was. I was very scared. We were soaking wet. We had no cover. Mm. Now, after a, a while, Davis takes shelter in the main bunker. And in some ways, this is actually worse. And this is what Dickie Davis goes on to say. It was full of chap dead. 
They sent us down some bully beef and my Batman got his hanky out of his pocket. It was filthy. You can imagine what it was like. He put it over the tummy of a dead Japanese, just over his bare tummy. He pulled this warm bully beef out of the tin with his finger, put it on a biscuit and said, Here you are, sir. I couldn't eat it. I was sick. <laughs> so is he suggesting he's using that as a table? Yes. Well, that's... About, we'll think of the first yeah, war, yeah, yeah. the Great War in the trenches. Bodies become part of the furniture, literally and figuratively. Uh, now, although they, the whole of the Northup bunker has not yet been captured, it had been at least in part neutralised, and soon contact was established with the Fourth First Gurkha Rif- Rifles, who uh, were fine part, body of men, part of the Thirty Third Indian Brigade, which had been moved up into the area between Two Tree Hill and GPT Ridge. Now, as a result of this, it was possible to open a direct track down to Jotsoma, which finally allowed the casualties to be evacuated over the next couple of days. It's not there just was, that, though, is it? No, there's also the dead to bury, and uh, this is what Sergeant Fred Hazel says. There were a fair number of corpses, but they were cleared up every night. The, regiment, the regimental police had the job of burying the dead every night, which wasn't a very pleasant task. I could hear them bringing their hearts up while they were doing the job. He means vomiting, doesn't he? He does. Now, of course, all this had been part of the larger battle. Yes. I mean, this this is the thing. We're focusing on one unit because that's what all history does. They've no idea what's happening anywhere else. But we could perhaps uh, describe in outline. What, what In outline, what's happened, Gary? Well, during the 4th Brigade's long march to GPT well, Ridge... Yeah. The 5th Brigade had made some progress towards their own objectives on the left of the 2nd Division front as they moved slowly towards Naga village. Right. Now, meanwhile, the 6th Brigade had also had some success in their attacks on uh, on the Kahima Ridge in the centre. And at very great cost, the Japanese had been pushed back from the area around the, t- the District Commissioner DC's bungalow and, 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 and they got back up onto FSD Hill. Uh, but the Japanese were still holding firm at a place called Kuki Picket. PK. Picket. 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 I'm going for Picket, yeah. Now, um, uh, th- this, th- th- for, unfortunately, Norfolk Bunker remains a problem, doesn't it? Yeah, because it's on the reverse slopes of the hillock at the end of the GPT ridge, it's still absolutely crucial for a, because it commanded the approaches to much of the rest of the hills that together formed the Kohima Ridge. So despite the reverses, the Japanese are still in quite formidable positions at, uh, in the Kohima area. Uh, what, what, is, what is it? What is, just sum up for me. Why are Japanese positions so, so difficult? Well, because there's a framework of interlocking support fire, which the Japanese are, are brilliant at. Uh, and that was all intact. And the concealed machine guns, that could still cause much execution amongst the attacking British and Indian troops. But for the moment uh, that the Norfolks are done, they'd later on attack Aradura Bridge, uh, Ridge, not Bridge, and they'd go on to fight through the rest of the Burma campaign. But we're going to take our leave of the second Norfolks here. Uh, Why now, Gary? I think it's because you you can't... This has been too much of a... uh, I don't know, uh, roller coaster ride in this, this last foot. The, the Battle of Kohima is, is a natural climax, a natural place to stop. Yeah. You, uh, we might return way? to them later in the year, though, Pete. We may we, do some more. Well, we, we probably won't, but we might. Yeah, you're right. Um, but uh, in the interim, 
uh, people could uh, have a look at your book Ooh. at the sharp end which is published by pen and sword and uh, like a lot of your books Pete is as cheap <laughs> as chips uh, there's the, the other thing they can do is to listen to the men of the Royal Second Royal Norfolk's uh, who I believe are on the internet uh, or they certainly will be soon because uh, the, 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 we ought to remember all this comes from the work I did for the Imperial War Museum which which paid for it they paid for me they paid my salary and it, it's 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 the foresight of the Imperial War Museum which enables these uh, these uh, these stories to be still told because they are all dead. Uh, what's your overall view? Uh, what what do you think of, of of the Norfolk's? Well, I think that you know they're they're in incredibly trying circumstances. They are giving a full demonstration of what it means to be an infantry soldier. I think so. And 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 when you look back at what we've seen, the terrible fighting uh, 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 during the Gort's army phase in 1940, that awful massacre, murderous massacre, uh, rebuilding. And then, and then Kahima as a, as a natural climax. What a story it's been. Uh, I will put up a link for Bert Fitz interview uh, and the interview, if it is on the War Museum. I believe it to be so. Uh, my, my main thing is what a character he was and what a character Robert Scott was. Cheers, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?